you've hit play on The Screen Companion, a show about helping you to decide what to watch tonight. Asian movies, The Killer, Full-Time Killer, and Lady Vengeance. This trio in today's episode made one of my guests remark, Two-thirds of these movies are worth watching. Find out which two movies my guests loved, and which one drew the most flack in one of the sassiest episodes we have ever done. Yay! I'm so happy, I'm so happy we're doing an Asian show. Oh my god. (laughs) You should have just been like, um, Asian movies are so fun to watch. (laughs) Here we are, we're talking about Asian cinema. John and Andrew are joining me. I have to admit, I am not that well-versed in Asian movies. I really don't check them out. I think I've seen maybe five or six movies in my lifetime. I do like foreign films, but I just tend to gravitate more toward the European stuff. John, is this something you watch a lot of, Asian movies? Yes, actually. I grew up on Godzilla films. The first one, the original Godzilla, is like an amazing statement on America bombing Japan. Later, they just started making them for kids, which is I was a kid, so it was fun watching dudes in rubber suits beat the crap out of each other. But you go on and you start watching other stuff as you grow. And in the last few years, is there any particular nation you're a specific fan of? I think Korea has really come along. The director we're going to talk about later, he really started a renaissance in Korea, and they've entered like a big Hollywood phase. Movies are big business over there. They're throwing money at them, and it's, I think, coming along beautifully. Yeah, and they're getting a lot of international attention, especially the last few years, right? Yes, you are correct, sir. And Andrew, what's your relationship with Asian movies? Probably a lot of people's first Asian movie, I guess, like of our age, was Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I remember seeing that in theaters. It was a whole family outing. We all went to go see it. I remember really, really liking it. They're not movies that I go seeking out, but they are movies that if I hear about it, I'll definitely give it a watch. A lot of the Asian movies I watch, it's anime, as you probably heard in the anime podcast. I guess live action, I've watched more Chinese or Korean. Let's get into it. Our movies today that we're going to talk about We've got Full-Time Killer, The Killer, Lady Vengeance, two movies from Hong Kong, one movie from Korea. Let's start chronologically, 1989's The Killer, Andrew's pick. Chow Yun-Fat plays Ah Zhang, who is a hitman at the beginning of the movie. He's just kind of on one final hit, and it goes pretty south. He ends up blinding an unsuspecting nightclub singer who was blinded by the muzzle flash of his gun because he fired like right next to her eyes. So he's done with being a hitman and he's trying to make it right by her. She doesn't know that he's the guy that blinded her. But there is also Inspector Lee who is on Ajong's back. He's trying to catch Ajong, but Ajong's just like, hey dude, I'm retired. Like you're not going to get me because I'm not going to kill anyone else. And Inspector Lee is like, we shall see. Because that's how it works, right? If you kill a bunch of people and then say, well, I'm not going to kill anybody else, you're (laughs) scot-free. I don't know how it is in Hong Kong with their murder laws, but you know what? Inspector Lee couldn't touch him. Yeah, we really don't know of any evidence Lee had against him, do we? No, it was just kind of like he knew. He knew he was a bad dude. That'll stand up in court. It's a ten-strike system. (laughs) john this was your first viewing of it correct once the credits started rolling like what did it leave you feeling when i first started watching it honestly i was like well it's chow young fat and john woo i don't know why andrew just didn't choose hard boiled but by the end i was like okay that was definitely worth my time i enjoyed that the killer preceded that one didn't it yeah i believe so yeah not having seen hard boiled How does Hard Boiled improve upon the formula of the killer? Hard Boiled's definitely a lot more action and more like over-the-top gunplay. Well, that's saying a lot. This was pretty over-the-top. This was over-the-top, but I feel like 
hard-boiled was much more a straight 100 miles an hour shoot 'em up This actually has more dramatic breathers, I feel like. I felt that worked in its favor, because I think gun-fu, whatever the term is, is definitely applied to hard-boiled. And I feel like this one brought it back just enough to be a better dramatic film. Plus, Ah Zhang was just slick in everything he did with his gun. This is a John Woo movie, I think, that if you could tone down the gunplay even more and still have a solid film, whereas hard-boiled, I mean, that's why I'm watching it. You know, it is a really good story, too, but, I mean, give me the guns. With this one, you can dial it back and still have a good, serious action piece. They must have had, what, five or six shootouts in this movie? Yep. Like, big, fully produced shootouts. That sounds about right, yeah. It's a John Woo movie, yeah. It's like clockwork. Has 15 minutes gone by? Okay, another shootout. (laughs) And that's not criticizing it. I loved it. It just blew my American sensibilities. Even now, thinking that maybe American action movies are a little too over the top or frivolous with their shootouts, to see this many action scenes in a movie and yet not feel like it's too much is a beautiful thing. What stuck out about Hong Kong culture, Asian culture, to you guys from watching this movie? Cigarettes. Yeah. (laughs) Lot of smoking. Lot of smoke. It came up in Full Time Killer, too, of just, you want to look cool? You got to smoke a cigarette and you got to be able to catch a gun mid-shooting it, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) And as a police officer, you have to be able to leap around and shoot like the rest of them. Who is the killer referring to in these movies with killer in the title? Is it referring to the hitmen or is it referring to the cops? Yeah, the cop. The first thing he did was like shoot a hostage. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't actually hit her, right? She died from a heart condition. It was a heart attack. It was still gross disregard for life. This is the classic trope of like the loose cannon inspector. You know from the very beginning, he does not give a shit as long as he gets his man. And that's what happens. Yeah. You're a loose cannon, Inspector Lee. They needed that moment. I'll agree with that. Because the following scene was him yelling at the brass about how they don't know what it's like out there. If Inspector Lee was playing a video game, Time Crisis, or Red Dead Redemption, where somebody has a hostage, he'd be pumping in a lot of quarters because he would just be killing innocent people left and right. (laughs) (laughs) That being said, what is interesting about this movie is that it really shows a lot of collateral damage to these gunfights, and I found that refreshing to see a different take on it. Do you guys have any examples of collateral damage in this movie? We mentioned Jenny getting her eyes blinded, the lady that died from the heart attack. The kid, uh, after he assassinated the political dude and he went to the extraction point, I guess, and the mob was there to kill him. That kid got caught in the crossfire and he took her to the hospital. That's one thing about this gunplay movie in particular. It's like you can't have these big gunfights like this and not have innocent people getting injured. It's kind of weird because it's such an action movie. It's another thing that brings it down. You know, you're not seeing like hundreds of bullets flying and then everyone's fine except the bad guys. There are just people who are getting hit that don't deserve it. And John Woo, he is a Christian. But I suppose from all the correct things I've read online, he wasn't intending this movie to have any big Christian message about it. But there is a lot of religious stuff peppered throughout. Even a priest gets it at one point. (laughs) That's right. Everyone gets it at some point. What does it exemplify in a positive way about Asian movies? What do you think this does that you're not going to see an American version of this? I think it's the gunplay. It's that mix of classic kung fu movie action with the American sensibility of guns. Even in a movie like RoboCop, where there's the warehouse shootout, there's no jumping around, there's no flips and like sliding under things and rolling over things. It's just Robo walking through in a menacing fashion and blowing everyone away. American shootouts, we have them with the old Western sensibilities where it's people ducking and covering. With this one, there is that kung fu movie flair that you don't get here in Western movies or really anywhere else. It plays into those strengths of 
the genre and their own film culture and our expectations also, the worldwide audience expectations. Chinese action movie, it's going to have some kung fu. Yeah, that's a racist way to look at it, but that's what we think of a lot of times, specifically Hong Kong action flicks or the Bruce Lee classics. Those places originated certain martial arts. Is there an American martial art that originated with us? Whatever Chuck Norris does. Kicking ass. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Lee made his own. Does that count? He, I think, was an American citizen at the time. King Kudo, I believe it was called. Jeet Kundo. Way of the intercepting fist. The whole point is to punch them before they punch you. That's how you win a fight. Besides all the gunplay, John, can you think of another thing that stands out about this movie versus American stuff? The characterization of the action hero? Like, Stallone invented the untouchable monster man. Arnie ran with it, Jean-Claude Van Damme ran with it, Chuck Norris. Our action heroes were untouchable, and it kind of got to the point of pointlessness. Like, you watch Commando, and Arnie is just standing in the lawn, mowing down literal hundreds of bad guys coming at him. They can't hit him. Whereas, like, in this movie, Cha Young-Fat gets, I think, winged every fight. He takes an injury, and he still keeps being a badass. How about some favorite scenes or performances in this Besides all the shootouts, which are pretty awesome, can you give me a performance or scene that doesn't have to do with the violence? I really like whenever Ah Zhang and Inspector Lee have their little tete-a-tetes, where they're just going back and forth. They've got those smiles on their faces, because Lee knows he has his man, and Ah Zhang knows you've got nothing on me. And then they come up with those stupid nicknames for each other. <laughs> I remember Shrimp Head. I can't remember the other one right now off the top. Ah, it was like Pork Face or something weird. I thought it was like Small B. I think there's different translations, unfortunately. Most likely, yeah. I found it on YouTube. I don't know where you guys watched it. I actually own the Blu-ray. Oh, man. I own it. <laughs> oh, I wish I could have seen that because the quality on YouTube was questionable. I could imagine it was bad. I watch it on YouTube as well. Eventually, I did find a 720p version. Oh, so I'm just a chump is basically what it sounds like is happening. <laughs> you watched the fuzzy version. You didn't put enough effort into looking for this movie for free. <laughs> You're not as thrifty as I am. <laughs> if we're going to include the violence in the action scenes, what scene was your favorite? I think it's a tie, because the scene Andrew just talked about, where they're still pointing guns at each other, but the blind lounge singer doesn't realize it, so it's like a completely quiet scene, is I think one of the best scenes in cinema in general. Really? Oh. It's a great sequence. But the scene when the mob attacks Ajong and his crooked cop friend in their home, just doing all these cool moves where they're tossing guns to each other and they're seamlessly catching them and shooting the bad guys who are trying to get out of the way midair. That's just a beautiful sequence, too. Only because I know later on you're going to give me the business for full-time killer. <laughs> I got to point out, you're so effusive over this movie. Both of you guys do live in California. Andrew's just like a five-hour drive down south from you if you want to give him a handy after this. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> we'll see. I don't own a car. It's my wife's car, so I don't think she'll let me borrow it. Gas is kind of expensive right now. I don't need one. Okay, good. Because if you're willing to wait a week for me to bike down, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be too weak to do it. How about you, Andrew? Favorite action scene? There's something about the tension of, like... The final sequence. Who doesn't love just seeing a bunch of guys get mowed down in the end? This ending won't end on, I think, the typical action movie notes that you might expect. That was another reason why I really appreciated this movie more than I'd say the average action flick. For me, I liked the Beach House shootout because watching those guys in those white uniforms jumping over the parapet, they reminded me of Bond henchmen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Laying siege. And during that scene, there's some melodrama going on because the blind woman's in there. And imagine not being able to see while all the stuff's being shot up around you. And you just have to assume that the two guys you're with are going to keep you safe. 
And that's also a perfect example, and it happens a few other times too, of redefining action comedy. This was literally action comedy, because there are so many action moments, partially because I was giddy, or the imagery itself was just so ridiculously fun. It made me laugh, in a good way, and I enjoyed that. Did it make you guys laugh at all at any point? I laughed. Yeah. Now that we've showered it with so much praise, how about some criticisms? And do any of them stem from the difference between American and Hong Kong culture? It could be toned down and I think be a very tense type of film. Could have like a Scorsese-like treatment if they took some of the goofier over-the-top elements out of it. But that's the charm. That's the problem. What you're describing, turning into a Scorsese movie, then it just turns it into an American movie and you've lost that flavor of the Orient. Exactly. I feel like my criticisms really do come down to sensibility what I'm used to in a flick. Oh, well, if you westernized it or Americanized it, it would be more serious and a little darker. You know, at the end of the movie, things go down. There's a moment where Lee's yelling, shrimp head, shrimp head. And it's kind of like, okay, this isn't the time to be using that. But you do have to remember, he doesn't know his name. He just knows him as shrimp head. So it's sad, but it also kind of makes it silly. I almost wish they had a different nickname for each other, I guess. (laughs) But if it was ass face, that would just be worse. I mean, like, what do you say, you know? (laughs) Kind of going along with that, there's a moment toward the end where characters are crawling toward each other. Did either of you guys find that tonally not quite landing the way that I think the filmmakers wanted it to? I'm going to say no. You felt the drama? I felt the drama. Yeah, I felt the drama, too. I was in. I was in with these characters. I loved them by the end. When that's going down, it's like, oh, no. It was horrifically depressing. (laughs) (laughs) It really was. Oh, I definitely got the depressing aspect of it. With all the screaming and crying that they're doing in that moment, I guess that's the melodramatic Hong Kong aspect. I just focus on the rest of it. How about you, John? Do you actually have any criticisms for this, or do you want to keep kissing on Andrew? Um, (laughs) I think the kissing should continue. I thought some parts were hokey, but that's John Woo, specifically. You're going to get some hokey bits. It's like Andrew said, it shouldn't be the same serious movie throughout. Sometimes funny things happen, like, in the middle of war. That's like a fact of life. And yes, it got hokey, but I still enjoyed the hell out of it. And it is nice to see them take advantage of the auteur sensibility, and you see these little details that you go, yeah, that's the director's trademark. Mm -hmm. Look at all these doves. Actually, since we're on that topic, what did you like more, this movie or Mission Impossible 2? Ooh. Oh. uh... Oh, Okay, how gonna, dare you? Gonna... How dare you? Because this is a no-brainer, sir. How dare you? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. God, dude. Hey, you know, if I'm going to give a true answer, you got to give me a second. Let me put it through the lens <laughs> of story. <laughs> Let's just go by the story, because if I take it as a whole, Tom Cruise all day. But story-wise, I will give it to the killer. Okay. Now that I've given you the praise you seek, Andrew, (laughs) it rests on my shoulders to be the one to criticize anything about this movie. I really liked it, but you guys are limp-dicking it with the whole, I don't really know, it's just so good, I can't think of anything. It's fun. It is fun. And we didn't even mention Ah Jung's manager, his hitman manager, the Brother Sai Sei character. Between... Brother Say and Inspector Lee and Ah Jung, it's just this bromantic triangle going on. I felt they belabored the theme of strange friendships. You got all three of those guys, either they're on different sides of the law or they've betrayed each other. And there are multiple conversations where they go, you know, isn't it weird we're friends? We shouldn't be, but we have so much in common. Isn't it crazy? I feel like that's a sign of Asians reveling in the drama. That might put off American viewers a little bit. I get the theme. I love the theme. 
but you don't need to harp on it as much as you guys seem to. Okay, I can get that. Well, now let us move on to Rat. Random asinine thoughts and trivia, round one. Andrew, do you have any rat for me today? <laughs> I know, I like, I never have it. I never have any for you. Well, actually, I will say that apparently they are making a remake. It's not out yet. The film will be directed again by John Woo. It's going to be on Peacock, and someone's already been cast as the uh, cop character. It's Omar Sy. I don't know who this guy is or what he's been in. Um, oh, wait a minute. Oh, this is the guy from The Untouchables. That French movie. The Untouchables? I don't know about a French Untouchables. I guess it's like Intouchibles or whatever it's pronounced. It's the, it's that movie. Um, yeah, that's not even any more helpful. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you just translated the word. <laughs> <laughs> so if John Woo's going to go back to the well and remake his own movie, when does that work out and come out with a better product? I'm thinking immediately of Ridley Scott and Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Do you think he should go back to it? Uh, if that's the example you're bringing up, no. <laughs> Remaking your own movie, it is kind of weird, but at the same time, it's who else to remake it if you want it to be true to the original. I suppose. On the other hand, it sounds like it's on the right network because it's going to blow a lot of peacock. Oh my goodness. <sighs> John, do you have any rat for us? <laughs> I was just thinking about the um, infrastructure of Hong Kong. Every one of these movies is just like, the mobster's running amok, the only cop who can get anything done is also equally insane as the, <laughs> the murderer. I think Hong Kong is the Republican mecca that <laughs> my brother dreams of, of just, everyone's got a gun, everyone's happy. <laughs> In Hong Kong cinema... Who doesn't have a gun? He was at a dragon boat race, and <laughs> everyone started pulling out guns yeah. once he assassinated that guy. <laughs> Going to my little piece of rat for you. Did either of you guys notice, when Ahjong is taking the little girl to the hospital, there is a sign written in English out front, and it says, Scared Heart Hospital? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not notice that. I'm pretty sure they meant to say Sacred Heart, but, you know, it's Hong Kong. I have dyslexia, so I wasn't going to catch that anyway. <laughs> Maybe it was meant to be Scared Heart. They're like, shouldn't it be Sacred? It's like, no, we want people to be terrified when they bring their children here. People are bringing in guns, pointing it at cops and doctors. Oh yeah, they both just got to leave. They both just left. <laughs> no consequence. And then... Knowing the reputation of these movies for being crazy with their gunplay, I decided in the first shootout, I was going to count the number of times Ahjong fired his two guns. Now, I counted he fired 44 times without reloading, and the guns he was using, they have a combined magazine capacity of 30, so he fired quite a bit more. Movie rules are different. Let's break for a sec so I can mention a few things about the podcast. We're on Podbean, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, YouTube, and more. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Reach us directly via the screen companion at gmail.com. Let us know which of our recommendations worked for you and what topics you'd like us to do next. Also, if you want to support TSC with a few bucks, head on over to Amazon and get the host's sci-fi novel, Traversal, The Weight of Worlds. After hearing me complain so much, perhaps you're curious how I'd tell a story. Available in both digital and print formats. And thank you for listening. Well, moving on. We're going to a similarly titled film from 2001 called Full-Time Killer. This was my pick, and it's about a rivalry between two assassins, one stoic, the other flashy, that draws a shy maid into their love triangle. 
as an Interpol detective tries to catch both men. Andrew, what were your initial thoughts right after this movie ended? I have seen this before, (laughs) probably when I was 20. It did not age as well as I thought it would. (laughs) (laughs) I'm liking this already. I remember when I saw it the first time, I thought like, oh man, like this is really, really good. And then watching it a second time, I was like, you know what? There are better Hong Kong movies. I think it was the flashbacks. Ooh, okay. It could get confusing and it's just kind of like, oh, okay, we're here now. Okay, we're here now. So that was a little frustrating because it's just like, just give it to me straight. I get it, we're doing something different, but you gotta organize a little bit better. I don't want to give the impression that I didn't like this movie. I think it is worth a watch. Immediately, I thought of Assassins with Antonio Banderas and Sylvester Stallone. You specifically texted me about my choice that made me actively want to dislike this movie going in. (laughs) Yeah, I probably shouldn't have been so honest. Despite my best efforts, the movie was winning me back until the third act, when I was like, ah, yes, I'm right. We have O, who ostensibly is our main character, and we have his rival, who I know is Andy Lau, and he plays Talk. The interplay between those guys, specifically Andy Lau's broad, gregarious, crazy performance, he was chewing the scenery a lot. Did you guys like that interplay? Did it get on your nerves at all? It definitely made him obnoxious and much more hateable. I think it was the old Alfred Hitchcock. They show a thing and then his blank face, and you associate the emotion with it. Andy Lau, I felt, was working it. But oh, I feel like was just kind of moody teenager almost. I don't know if I wanted... Mr. Lau to be so over-the-top. It made me think he'd make a really good Bond villain. With how over-the-top he plays it, I think you could only have him work with the way O is portrayed, being so quiet. Because then otherwise you just have a couple of guys that don't say anything and always look menacing, squinting their eyes and stuff, so... This is a nice counterpoint. It's different when someone's chewing the scenery in an Asian film as opposed to chewing it in an American film. There's something almost more deliciously over the top about it. I think it might be more acceptable for foreign stars to chew the scenery to an American because we have that cultural barrier. I'm going to let Andy Lau slide on it a bit more than I would an American actor where you know the language, you know typically how words are said, and then you dial into how goofy it is. But when it's foreign actors, it just feels like it's part of the milieu of what you're watching. Definitely feels more like it's just how it's exactly meant to be, as opposed to something where, ooh, this person's overacting. Taking like William Shatner, for instance, he famously chews the scenery, I feel like you can tell a little bit more with him where it's like, oh, okay, dude, you need to take it down a notch. But with Andy Lau in this, he's the zany guy. I would say it plays into his character. One of his first lines is talking about how much he loves action movies. That's like his thing is to be over the top. True. He is playing the movie part within the movie. Something about that felt very rooted in the present with how much geek culture has become so prevalent now. He really is like the first geeky frickin' assassin, isn't he? Yeah, he is. That opening scene with him is just straight out of Terminator. He goes in with the guns and the roses. No band pun intended. <laughs> he goes into the police station, which is out of Terminator 1, but the gun is hidden in the flowers, which is out of Terminator 2. He's doing no-look murders with the shotgun, which is out of almost every movie ever. Was he wearing shades in that scene? Yes, he was. Ah. (laughs) Yeah, that had to be on purpose. (laughs) When you consider it along with the killer, there's a real common theme of honor versus friendship. Watching both flicks, you might say that dying with honor is more important than winning by cheating or something. Yeah. 
Because both of these movies, you have characters with their own code of honor, even though they're criminals. And in The Killer, one guy straight up wants to be mercy killed because to him, that's an honorable way of dying. I don't know if they use that so much in American movies, just how dour it is in these two films. I can't really think of an American movie that would have a character looking for an honorable death as their whole goal, I guess, or just as an out. What drives a lot of American characters is the fear of death, whereas, especially the Hong Kong action character, they want a cool death. They want to go out like a G. Or if it was American thinking your way out of the death, getting the best of it. Oh, yeah. I'm smarter than death versus the Hong Kong sentiment of I embrace my death. We already mentioned Shatner. It's the Kobayashi Maru. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he's going to cheat his way through the unwinnable exam. When we have heroes not like exactly looking for an honorable death, we have movies where like characters sacrifice themselves maybe for the greater good. One of the greatest film sacrifices of all time is the guy on Independence Day who stops the laser by flying his jet into it so he saves Area 51 by saying, all right, you alien assholes. That's an honorable death, but it's like there's that sacrifice, but he's not looking to go out in like a... He wasn't looking for a blaze of glory. We don't really have that blaze of glory type of thing. In that movie, he makes such a huge sacrifice, whereas in The Killer, Brother Say's death, his mercy killing is so personal. Whether he gets killed or not, matters to nobody except him. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Considering you guys are going to tear this movie a new butthole, (laughs) let's start with criticisms first and then go into favorite scenes. John, because you've been waiting for it, criticize the hell out of this. What don't you like about it? Uh, Like I said, I've been... been... And that's all the time we have tonight. Thanks, guys. Oh, my gosh. Like I said, I went into this movie looking to hate it, and it was winning me back... Annie Lau and his over-the-topness, it was reminding me that it was just a movie to be fun, and all his stuff was an homage. He did the killing with the president's mask. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. A Point Break reference. I might rewatch it and try and, like, figure out, because each one of his scenes I'm pretty sure is a reference. And then the whole third act happened, where the cop that they introduced halfway through the movie, we need a foil now, because these two guys are the good guys. Then he just gives up. He's like, my partner may or may not be dead. We're not going to talk about that. I'm just going to go be a depressed suicidal writer and write a book. (laughs) Then they start talking about video games. Oh, yeah. Andy Lau, the whole movie, is like, I love movies. Okay, this ending sequence is based on a video game. What? (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah, that stood out to me as well. There was the false ending, which got me, because I was like, of course it went so far off the rails. And then the possibly real ending. Yeah, which may or may not be the real ending. Also wasn't less ridiculous. Yeah. That was getting off a little bit light. Thank you, John. Uh, (laughs) Andrew, how about your criticisms? There were a lot of, like, those cool references. It played into it a little much, but it was like, all right, I get it. He's that kind of guy. He's just outright ridiculous. But yeah, the last third of the movie really poops the bed. And... It's almost like it started trying to take itself way too seriously, but then also went back to being crazy with the Metal Slug stuff, because I think that's the game they reference. Yes. And then it's just like, here it ended. All right, that's kind of weird. Even that ending, that doesn't seem right. Like, how would that work? And then you see the other one, you're like, okay, there's that thing in the beginning that comes back, and you're just kind of like, okay. I'm not the biggest fan of unreliable narrator-type stories, especially when it's thrown in for a third of the film and it's not like the whole damn thing. I guess you could argue there's other chunks, but they really up it in the last third. The whole concept of narrator, it would randomly loop into narration when most of the movie wasn't narrated to move the story along. It's like someone else picked up the last third of the script and was like, all right, well, I have an idea for my movie. I'll just make it work for this. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't the only one to do it. There are other examples. Every time characters mention other movies, it takes me out of what I'm watching a little bit. 
Uh, I think the most recent example I can think of is Marvel's Civil War, when Spider-Man lays out a plan and likens it to Empire Strikes Back, which is also owned by Disney. Yeah, that really old movie. I didn't like that part. I think it would have helped if they didn't reference it by name. If you just had him wear a Richard Nixon Halloween mask and didn't have the maid when she's working at the video store point to the Point Break poster on the wall and say, yeah, I think it's from that movie. (laughs) (laughs) That little-known American film, Point Break. Leave it there for the people that do know about it and will catch it. And then for those that don't catch it, I don't think they're going to enjoy the reference. You know, if anybody's going to enjoy it. So just don't put so much attention on it. John, give me some favorite scenes in this. You must have one or two. (laughs) I do. I do. That scene when O is escaping with the girl who's, uh, I forget her name because I just referred to her as the housekeeper. But when they're escaping from his super secret apartment across the street from his quote-unquote real apartment, the cops are moving into position. almost reminded me of the raid with this beautifully silent setup, and then with the pull of a trigger, everything goes down. I thought that worked really well. Them just finding a way to escape down the building. Uh, Dare say accurate shotgun physics, because every movie seems to think that shotguns have that scatter shot in it, when a lot of shotguns, it's just a slug. It's just a more powerful single bullet. I give the movie points for realistic shotguns. Anything with Andy Lau, really. When he assassinates the gentleman in his Bill Clinton mask. That was pretty amusing to me. How about you, Andrew? Favorite scene? You know, favorite scene. That's... Let me give it a real <laughs> real quick think here. Because it, it's really... It's kind of... Just be mean to it. Just be mean no, to it. No, like, I don't want to be mean. <laughs> it's when that white word, it said cast, came into frame, followed by a bunch of names. <laughs> <laughs> I have my day back. Goodbye. I know we've made fun of it, but because I like Point Break, I like the Nixon mask. It's silly, but I was kind of like, okay, you won me. I did find it notable, this watch. None of these characters in the two movies we've talked about so far, most of them are not good people. In this movie, centering on two hitmen, I liked that it leaned into that aspect of owes life because he's on a hit and then a classmate recognizes him at the train stop and on his way out O just shoots the guy in the back because he doesn't want to witness and that was so freaking cold-blooded and they even have this guy bring out his wallet and show you his wife and four or five kids just to make it even more ruthless when he gets gunned down oh man i kind of hated that scene with how wacky this movie is it played into the reality of the character, and I'm glad it didn't try to make me say, oh, you know, he's a hitman and he's trying to get out of the life. He's ultimately a good guy, which I feel like the killer did a little bit. It's like, no, 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 it's Chow Yun-Fat. Ultimately, he's a good guy. He might have killed 50 people, but he's all right. This movie doesn't shy away from letting you know he's a scumbag. Oh, might be less of a scumbag than talk, but he's also a scumbag deal with it, the movie goes on. It was the other guy, not O. Honestly, I'm with O on this. Like, how many movies one gentleman is pretending to be another gentleman, and the guy who knows him happens to show up and won't drop it. He (laughs) will not drop it, and that's the most annoying trope. Who has the confidence to just keep berating a stranger like, no, I know you. Who does that? Yeah, shoot that. That guy deserved to get shot. That's why I hated the scene, was because the guy wouldn't drop it. I noticed that it's a common theme with some of our episodes. (laughs) Social standards really jumps out at you. I I identify a lot with Larry David. As much fun as I had being mean to it because of you, specifically. I think the movie worked because of Andy Lau being the eccentric, but not the best assassin. Whereas, oh... In my headcanon, O was just bored being the best assassin. I think that's what worked. I think one of you guys mentioned the movie Assassins earlier. Ah, yeah. That's full-time killers. That's the movie he loves. It is the same plot. This is definitely stealing. 
Yeah. I haven't seen Assassins, Andrew. Is it a good one? I haven't seen it either, but I also think it's interesting because we mentioned Stallone being the invincible hero, and he's also the star of that movie with Puss in Boots. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. He played the Muslim man in uh, 13th Warrior. The 13th Warrior. That is another reoccurring theme in these episodes, Andrew, is your references to Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> My brother got drunk one day and cornered me and told me about what a great movie Shrek 2 was, how it's the greatest movie ever made, because his girlfriend at the time had kids and he had to watch it almost every day, and he's like, it's so good! I was like, please leave me alone. Did he come to that conclusion because he was watching that movie drunk over and over again? I think so, yes. (laughs) Wait, y'all don't like Shrek 2? I didn't say that. I don't mind it. Should we have a Shrek 2 episode? Yeah, because then we'll talk about how great it is. <sighs> Unless you want me to blow my brains out. <laughs> <laughs> well, let us move on to our final movie. Some, hopefully one, might say the best movie of the night. Lady Vengeance from 2005. This is John's pick. John, give us a little summary of this, would you? This is the third film in the Vengeance trilogy by Park Chan-wook. Story-wise, there's nothing in common. It's all strictly theme. Vengeance, obviously. It's about a woman who admitted to a crime she didn't commit to protect her child, and she spent, I think, 13 years in prison for it? And after getting out, she plots revenge upon the man who made her take credit for the crime. Have you seen all of that trilogy? Yes. I'm a very big fan of this director. Apparently you are not. (laughs) Based on one movie, I'm curious, John, in the trilogy, where does Lady Vengeance rank? It might be my favorite, but Old Boy is really good. Old Boy's the second one. That's the one that put the trilogy on the map. The first one is Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. I think the first one is Vengeance begets Vengeance begets Vengeance. And the second one is How a Man Gets Vengeance. And this one is specifically How a Woman Gets Vengeance. Given your two choices, I feel like I probably should have chosen the second one, because the second one's more action-oriented, but this one, I think, is a heavier story. Andrew, this was your first watch of it, right? Yes. So what did you think when the movie stopped? I watched something that was very heavy. Some serious shit in this movie, guys. (laughs) (laughs) After I watched it, I looked up the director... He did Old Boy, of course. (laughs) I saw Old Boy a long time ago. This is very much in that vein of just gritty. It's hard to watch sometimes. It's harsh. This is a harsh one. Just just dead kids. I mean... (laughs) One of the scenes, they show the kid dying. Yeah, lots of dead kids. And it's just... You're not used to seeing it. Definitely, this is one of those things I don't think you see it a lot in Western films. Like, that's some dead-ass kids. <laughs> dead-ass kids. I like that. What about Korean culture did you find interesting as portrayed by this film? I'm not a connoisseur of Korean film. I can probably count on one hand right now the movies that I know I've seen that have been Korean. I've noticed that all the Korean movies I've seen and the show I've watched, it's all extremely violent and extremely dark. Nothing's happy. (laughs) You kind of have to have a little bit of a, I'd say like a stronger stomach to watch it because it doesn't shy away from showing you some really uncomfortable things. But all of these movies have been absolutely fantastic. John, with how much experience you have with Korean movies, do you have any ideas why that is for them, or how their portrayal of dark material is different from Western sensibilities? I think a lot of the heavier stuff, uh, this director made another movie about the uh, demilitarized zone, because they do have a neighbor immediately to the north who publicly claims they want to destroy them. I think they have that looming threat. There's, I think, an existentialism to being Korean that we don't get here in America. I honestly hadn't thought of it like that. 
that's gotta suck to be like right below North Korea, <laughs> you know? Like, that can't be easy. <laughs> the darkness makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> China can't be the best neighbor either. Mm. Also, they were annexed by Japan for a time in the early to mid-20th century. That probably stuck around for a while, the brutality at the hands of them. Yeah, that's a really good point. There's definitely still citizens alive who experienced that, too. What does the movie exemplify in a positive way about Asian cinema? Kung Fu flicks are awesome. I think this one specifically helps establish that it's not just awesome action movies. Like, it can have heavy subject matter and the heart. This movie definitely makes me cry every time I watch it. Just a little, because I'm still a man. But <laughs> I do cry a little every time I watch this movie. With the other picks we had, I mean, even though they're Hong Kong films, like, they have those heavy kung fu action elements. And this one is... I don't want to use the phrase art housey just because I do feel that that can be seen as like a way of putting it down. But this is, especially this director in general, like these movies are top tier directing and just really great visuals. These are on par with the best movies that are coming out of the US. It's not something we are like, it's a foreign film. It's going to look a little bit like they're behind the times. Absolutely not. This is top-tier filmmaking, and it shows that Korea is a powerhouse of cinema right now. They're doing it in a way that doesn't feel like it's just a carbon copy of the West. I don't think an American director could have made this movie, and so that's what makes it also very refreshing. It's a different type of story, and it's a different way of telling a story that we aren't used to. It was very successful when it came out, especially in Korea. I would have a hard time believing an American director doing this movie and getting as good of a reception over here for it. Let's do some favorite scenes or performances. In the sense of like with Full Time Killer, there was kind of a moment where it's like, okay, that's going to play in again. There was the moment later on in the film where you see that marble again and you're kind of like, oh, old friend, I knew I'd see you once more. You got Mr. Bake tied in that chair. When you see a cell phone strap of just the trophies, all these other things, it's a really sick moment. It reminds you just that much more like this guy really deserves what he's about to get. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Post climax, all the uh, parents of the dead children and our main character, Lee, are in the bakery that she works at. They're sharing a cake, and they're talking. They finally have closure on their children's death, and they're just moving on. And that scene just gets me every time. And almost seems, would you say, necessary, considering how dark the rest of the movie is? Yes, I definitely would say. If you didn't have that moment, if there wasn't that catharsis, and it was just a downer, would you have still enjoyed it? Considering the subject matter that type of catharsis is necessary. It still would have been good if it was a downer. I think as an audience member, you do need to have that closure. It's not just everything sucks for everybody. In one way or another, it's horrific, the whole film, really. But there's something positive that came out of it. Andrew, do you have any criticisms for this movie? I knew it was going to be harsh. The title has it, you know, it's like, all right, this sounds like it's going to be a harsh movie, but I went to this blind. If I knew that it was the old boy director who did this, I would have been more prepared. <laughs> <laughs> I was not prepared for how dark and how so many seedy characters and just... Ugh. I know like old boys, I guess arguably is most... Is it arguably his most famous one? It seems like everyone... It's the famous one. I wouldn't argue it's his best one. That's why we're here on this one, right? That's like a lot of people's almost first Korean movie, I think, is Old Boy. Yeah. It's not so much a criticism, it's just more of a warning. It's not going to be easy. Even if you think you're a tough guy in movies and you can take anything, it's not just the visuals, it's the subject matter itself that's really rough, but it's definitely worth a watch. John, do you have any criticisms for your favorite director and movie of all time? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, 
Why don't you just move over there? Move to Korea right now, okay? I'll give you 50 bucks to get you started. 50 bucks? What, what's the exchange rate? I don't know. Um, I think the movie requires a lot of patience. Uh, and, like I, um, It definitely tested mine. Oh, don't get me started, <laughs> brother. Don't get me started. <laughs> Every time I do one of these, I have to watch these movies, I always tell my wife what's going on because I have to use her laptop. I'm not technologically advanced enough to use my own laptop for any of this, so she has to set this stuff up for me. So every time she's asked, she's like, well, I like any of these movies, and this time I was able to, like, I think you'll like Lady Vengeance. She didn't like it till the end. She had to see the end to realize the rest of the movie was good. So it definitely takes patience. I think that is a good criticism. That would be mine. Okay. Well, I have some criticisms for this movie. Mm-hmm. Full disclosure, I tried three separate times to finish this movie. I watched 40 minutes, and then I stopped. And then I remembered that the only person I give up on is Andrew, so I tried again. <laughs> watched another 20 minutes stopped it again and then today before this recording i tried again and literally got two or three minutes and then i was like no this isn't going to change the plot details that really lost me when gumja goes to meet her estranged daughter that I believe she had when the kid was very little, but after that, never had any contact with her. Now, yeah, she had to give her up for adoption because she had to go to prison for a murder she didn't commit. She goes to Australia. I'm thinking, wait a second, her adopted parents are just automatically okay with this random woman coming out and saying, oh, hey, actually, I'm the birth mother. Would you mind if I came for a visit? And then they're in the girl's room, she tells her mom, I want to go with you to Korea. I want to see it. I'm right there with the mom where she says, no, that's not what I wanted by coming here. And then it smash cuts to the little girl holding a knife to her own throat. And then the camera cuts straight to the reverse, and it's Gumja looking shocked. And then the Australian adopted parents, their eyes are huge, right? Because their kid is threatening to commit suicide. Little moments like that just felt so out of touch with some of the more serious moments up till that point that I thought the movie was going for. And it just felt so ridiculous. It felt like, how do we get her daughter back to Korea? Because she factors into the plot. Oh, let's just have her want to kill herself and they need to let her go. And then my second time watching, it came back to the girl again. <laughs> when Kumja gets the man she's looking for, the vengeance she wants. She captures him. She's got the guy trussed up, and she's got a gun at the back of his head, making him recite some stuff because he speaks English so that she can communicate with her daughter. And the daughter just looks like they're filming her in between takes. It's like, why aren't you feeling anything right now? You're a 12-year-old kid, 14-year-old kid, whatever. All of a sudden, you see your mom about to kill this guy. You're not crying, you're not upset, you're just like, well, what are you going to do to him, Mom? Stuff like that, that's the reason it lost me, but I can totally see what you guys are talking about. Those aspects are definitely there in the movie, but you really have to accept certain things about the plot that I wasn't able to do because it was like I was standing on a beach in Southern California and the erosion with the tide just kept coming in and all these details just kept happening like, the main character is rappelling down the side of a building to break into an office and steal some adoption records. Whoa, why is she rappelling down buildings all of a sudden? How does she know to do all this stuff? She went to prison when she was like 17, 18. So yeah, that's, that's my little rant. John, do you want to give me the business? Uh, every day. <laughs> <laughs> I'll secede the... Uh, the action movie rappelling into the office, because that was a bit out of the way. The the scene where the child threatened to kill itself, honestly I never thought about it as a story element as much as, like, the only thing that moves is the camera. The actors don't move, and it just it looks like a painting of the situation, more than it really did what was really going on. To me, I'm just like, okay, that's what's happening. And 
Maybe I would just give it up to I don't know that much about Asian culture. Maybe that is a real thing. That Australian culture, I have no idea. Maybe they do just threaten to kill themselves often. Well, they live in the outback. Of course they do. Right? Like, <laughs> it's got to be depressing. Like, if it's not a knife to the throat, it's just a spider's going to get you in your sleep. <laughs> I get where you're coming from. There are those moments. I chalk that up almost to foreign film in general that we're going to have those kinds of moments. When I'm watching any non-American movie, I kind of allow myself to just not be stopped by that kind of stuff or not think about it too much because we don't do that. We don't do something so sudden. I mean, yeah, the repelling, yeah, that's weird. But (laughs) I know it's going to sound condescending. I don't mean it this way. But I give them a, a little more room to do their own thing because I do have to take into account that I don't understand the cultures. I mean, just because I watch a Korean movie, I am not now a doctor of Korea. I don't have my PhD in Asia from watching these movies. So that's why I have to give myself that like, hey, you know, there's going to be imagery that you're probably not going to get. And it's going to be sudden because you're just not used to it. Although I do think it's a very valid criticism on your part, Frank. It's also kind of like, we're not used to movies like this. Definitely not. And I'm right there with you with foreign movies giving a bit more leeway. I think it was so jarring for me. You have those moments that I mentioned in a story that is so dark and seems so serious. I would be interested to know what a Korean thinks about it. If it plays weird also over there, like the director is making strange choices. Or if it's, they all get it, like, what are you talking about? This makes perfect sense. And as someone who has written scripts, I understand you can't explain everything, because if you did, it would be a five-hour movie. But the shortcuts they took for certain motivations and getting characters from one place to another, it's like those moments I wish they had expanded a bit more, because I think the relationship between her and her daughter is compelling. It's just it's built on some wacky stuff that just lost me. And no joke, I I laughed at this movie. <laughs> it played like a comedy to me. That's not the first time I've heard something similar. Yeah, this director does do like really perversely funny things. I think people should expand their film diets, watch foreign movies, watch this movie as depressing as it is. And it wasn't a total loss for me. Part of the fun in doing this show with you guys is to get nudged out of my comfort zone and put myself in different headspaces watching these movies and grappling with what the movie does to me. And this movie really did something to me. Does this mean you're going to go back and rewatch this and Speed Racer? (laughs) (laughs) That's that position for me, (laughs) because... I want to hate on Frank right now, but then you're bringing up Speed Racer. I'm going to throw you a bone, Andrew. I think there's a better chance of me going back to Speed Racer than Lady Vengeance. Damn. How does that make you feel, John? Ah, this is is Frank. You're a bastard man. You're a big old bastard man. (laughs) I'm going to send you uh, a gift basket of, I don't know, I heard you can send elephant shit to people. (laughs) (laughs) Now, going on to our final round of rats. The first thing I always think about watching it now after having seen his follow-up being Thirst, his thoughts on religion. In this movie, Guanja doesn't like the priest. She hates Christians, basically. And his follow-up Thirst is another... I don't want to say anti-Christian. He gives off the feeling that he wants to challenge Christians without them hating him. I think he would have to because Christianity is huge over there. It is. I've had a couple Korean roommates. One says it's great and another one called it a problem. Were you referring to the number or was that your friend's name? God damn it, I wanted to make that joke, but I decided not to. (laughs) But you didn't have the balls. I didn't. No, I didn't. No, I was remembering the number, because I'm not a good enough person to remember their names. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
My rat for you guys is in the subtitles at the beginning when that guy is holding out the bean curd. In the subtitles, it says tofu. Tofu is a Japanese word. And it's funny that to translate it into English, they translate it into another foreign word, but obviously more um, recognizable to foreigners. But Koreans would call it dubu. And I felt like I should mention that for my grandmother who's no longer with us because growing up, she was definitely around for the Japanese occupation and she scolded me one time for referring to it as tofu. Oh. So she would not have been happy to read that. My second one for you is that Gumja's daughter is raised by Australians and yet I feel like she spoke with an American accent. Did you guys hear that? Yes. Yeah. Her English didn't have an Australian tinge to it. Hmm. I could see that as, and this might go back to the, when you're talking about it looked like they were filming her in between takes. She might just be a bad actor. I'm prepared to say a marketing executive told her that the Australian accent is offensive. <laughs> That's very possible. That's unsettingly possible. Americans do it all the time in our movies. I'd like to think it's just a case of they didn't care enough about it to their ear. They don't really hear the distinctions. They didn't care to make it authentic. Yeah, we just need her speaking English. Find an actress that can speak English. It doesn't matter. That's a good point. Yeah, it goes back to your killer comment of all the different languages they spoke in that, and you didn't know unless they were speaking English. I agree. I didn't know unless they were speaking English. Now on to a new segment. How rotten are your tomatoes? Guys, I'm going to ask you to rank these three movies based on what you think their current Rotten Tomatoes audience scores are. John, let's start with you. What do you think was the lowest and go up to the highest rated? I think Full-Time Killer was the lowest. I think Killer was the mediumist. And I think Lady Vengeance was the highest. I'm going to agree with Full-Time Killer being the lowest. <laughs> I'm going to switch The Killer and Lady Vengeance just because I think The Killer might have bonus points as being kind of a prequel to Hard Boiled. I could see that. I'm going Lady Vengeance for art housey in this. It's a tough one. It is a tough one. As long as we agree that Full-Time Killer is the worst. Definitely. Ah, uh, you guys, your knives never dull, do they? <laughs> Watch it have, like, one certified fresh, so it's 100%, and it's Frank. He's the only one who reviewed it. <laughs> and it's the only reason I included it in the show. <laughs> yeah. Just laughing all the way. Like... So I could gloat. <laughs> well, no. So Full-Time Killer came in last with 77%. Ah, man, that's a high-five situation. Then Lady Vengeance at 87. Oh. No. And The Killer, 92. I think it was them bonus points. I'll agree. It was definitely bonus points. John Woo, I think, is just more of an inspiration for a lot of American directors. Maybe not now, but overall in the last 20, 30 years or so. I do think The Killer is much more... Palatable? <laughs> Palatable than Lady Vengeance. So I think that also plays a part. That's true. The Killer is definitely a more accessible... If I was going to show someone a foreign film, and I want them to like it, I'd show them The Killer. I think I showed my sister Old Boy once, and she laughed way more than I wanted her to. <laughs> 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 going back to Frank's comment. <laughs> <laughs> now to my favorite segment on the show, TL... DL, too long, didn't listen. Let's land this bird by me asking you guys some questions where I want you to give me nice, short, sweet responses. Andrew, let's start with you. Which movie is best seen on a date? <laughs> like, none, honestly. Like, uh... Yeah, all bad date movies. Yeah, they're all pretty terrible date movies. Um, Gun to My Head. Held by Chow Yun-Fat. It's going to sound bad, but I would actually say Lady Vengeance. Lady Vengeance, you could at least be like, oh my gosh, this is such an art piece. This is cinema 
magnifique, but it's Korean. I think you can try to look more like a film buff with Lady Vengeance than the killer. <laughs> I'm going to compound it and say Lady Vengeance is the one I showed my wife. And while she said she liked it and her exact words were, if I get a chance to kill a motherfucker who killed my baby, I'm killing that motherfucker. Uh, I did not get laid that night, so. <laughs> John, why would you want to? <laughs> yeah, it might have been my fault. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's like, oh, baby, what are you thinking about right now? What got you hot? Was it the first dead kid or the third dead kid? Oh, my gosh. That's funny. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's, that's classic. Like, oh, man, what movie's going to get me laid? Lady Vengeance. Aw, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Andrew, who's more interesting? Ajong, Gumja, or Tok? Goddamn Tok's entertaining. Finally, one for full-time killer. But. <laughs> but. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that's your answer. John, which film uses its R rating to the best effect? Because all three of these were R. I'm going to go with the killer, honestly. Andrew, which movie do you recommend for someone new to Oriental Flicks? The killer. John, what's a better double bill? Listen closely. <laughs> the Killer and John Wick. Full-time Killer and Pulp Fiction. Or Lady Vengeance and The Big Lebowski. <laughs> See, you made this more difficult than it really needs to be. Because The Killer and John Wick sounds awesome. But then you added The Big Lebowski. It took me a while to come up with these guys. Do you kind of see why I'm pairing them together? I do. I think after Lady Vengeance, you need a good Big Lebowski to feel better. And some of the storytelling style, some of the quirkiness, some of the flair, even though one goes very dark compared to the other one, mm -hmm. I feel like they're cousins. They're a little related. I feel like the Coen brothers should have tried to do old boy. When I was watching the scene where they were killing Mr. Bake. I totally thought of the scene when the Big Lebowski was going down that imaginary bowling lane and flipped over to look up the skirts. <laughs> I got those same feelings of just, then he gets to look up to all the lady skirts. Yeah. So I was like, that's what it must feel like to kill Mr. Beck. Yeah, I was thinking like, man, like dead kids, that is a lot like a ruined rug. <laughs> it did really tie the room together. <laughs> so John, are you going to go with Lady V and... No, I'm not going with Lady Vengeance and <laughs> Lebowski. I'm going with The Killer and John Wick. As good as Pulp Fiction is, it can't bring up full-time killer. Yeah. It's so much hate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, you started this, sir. You started this. I know, I dug my own grave. Andrew, do you agree? Do you think The Killer and John Wick are the best double bill? Yeah, thematically, for sure. They're peas in a pod. And probably more fun to watch. Well, any final thoughts, fellas, as we wrap this up? You know what? Full-time killer is the worst movie I ever saw. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think I see eye-to-eye -eye the most with you on movies, so it is fun to see a movie that we just completely disagree on. <laughs>